Peace be upon you. So just a heads up that I'm going to be discussing some uh, uh, matters that are a little more mature. So just wanted to give you a forewarning. So the Quran informs us that God created spouses so that we can find tranquility and contentment. In Surah 30 verse 21, it reads, Among his proofs is that he created for you spouses from among yourselves in order to have tranquility and contentment with each other. And he placed in your heart to love and care towards your spouses. In this, there are sufficient proofs for people who think. The Quran does not shy away from discussing the intimate relationship that is maintained between a husband and wife and the responsibility this entails. The Quran describes spouses as the keepers of each other's secrets. This means that these details of their relationship are to be kept private and others should respect this privacy that the spouses maintain. In Surah 2 verse 187 it reads, Permitted for you is sexual intercourse with your wives during the nights of fasting. They are the keepers of your secrets and you are the keepers of their secrets. The Quran not only acknowledges the special relationship that spouses hold, it also sets conditions for the respect for the privacy between spouses. In Surah 24 verse 58 it reads, O you who believe, permission must be requested by your servants and the children who have attained puberty before entering your rooms. This is to be done in three instances, before the dawn prayer, at noon when you change your clothes to rest, and after the night prayer. These are three private times for you. At other times, it is not wrong for you or them to mingle with one another. God thus clarifies the revelations for you. God is omniscient, most wise. So the Quran is setting the foundations of the respect we are to have towards spouses in their intimate relationship, and predominantly how children are to respect the privacy of their parents' relationship. The Quran also informs us that the prophet was to be treated like a father figure and his wives are like mothers to them. This is part of the reason that there were certain guidelines that needed to be met in order for the companions to properly respect the prophet and his relationship with his wives and to specifically respect his privacy. In Surah 33 verse 53 it reads, O you who believe, do not enter the prophet's homes unless you are given permission to eat nor shall you force such an invitation in any manner. If you are invited, you may enter. When you finish eating, you shall leave. Do not engage him in lengthy conversations. This used to hurt the prophet, and he was too shy to tell you. But God does not shy away from the truth. If you have to ask his wives for something, ask from behind a barrier. This is pure for your hearts and their hearts. You are not to hurt the messenger of God. You shall not marry his wives after him, for this would be a gross offense in the sight of God. This verse is putting special emphasis towards the private life of the prophet, that the companions at that time were to respect his privacy, to not engage with him in lengthy conversation, to not even speak directly to his wives unless it's from behind a barrier and to not marry any woman who's been previously married to the prophet. This is showing the extreme care that God expected the believers at the time of the prophet to show the respect for the privacy of the prophet and specifically his relationship with his wives. Interestingly, that the word in this verse for conversations is hadith, 
when it says, if you are invited, you may enter. When you finish eating, you shall leave. Do not engage him in lengthy conversations. And this word is hadith. This used to hurt the prophet and he was too shy to tell you. But God does not shy away from the truth. Additionally, God states to not hurt the messenger. Ironically, this is exactly what people did when they created and propagated the Hadith literature as a source besides the Quran. If we consult the Hadith, we find all kinds of gross fabrications attributed to the Prophet specifically regarding his sexual dealings with his wife and these intimate private matters. These are gross fabrications. For instance, in Sahih Bukhari, number 268, narrated by one of the companions of the Prophet, it reads, The Prophet used to visit all his wives in a round during the day and night, and they were eleven in number. I asked Anas, Did the Prophet have the strength for it? Anas replied, We used to say that the Prophet was given the strength of thirty men. So we are to believe that these companions of the Prophet were trading sex stories about the Prophet and how every day he would go and sleep with his 11 wives and he had the sex drive of 30 men. Does this sound like the words of someone who respected the Prophet's privacy? Or do these sound like fabrications attributed to the Prophet against his will? In Sahih Bukhari, number 299, narrated by apparently the wife of the Prophet Aisha, it reads, The Prophet and I used to take a bath from a single pot while we were Janub. And Janub means that they had sexual intercourse. During the menses, he used to order me to put on an inzar. This is a dress worn below the waist. And he used to fondle me. Are we to believe that God's Prophet's wife was going around talking about how the Prophet used to fondle her? Or are these again gross fabrications being attributed to the Prophet? We would not want this information to be about our own parents. And we're supposed to treat the Prophet as a father figure. And how is it likely that these people claim to be upholding or respecting the Prophet when they're swapping these kinds of stories about him and rejoicing in this information? In Sahih Bukhari 302, it reads, Aisha said, whenever Allah's Messenger wanted to fondle any one of us during her period, he used to order her to put on an izar and started fondling her. Aisha added, none of you could control his sexual desires as the Prophet could. Can you imagine these kind of narratives going around about you, let alone, say, your parents, your mother, your father? Hopefully you would be absolutely up in arms of such people spreading such disgusting gossip. And it really hurts me to have to repeat such gross lies about the Prophet. But these have to be brought forward for the people who are claiming that we need the Hadith as a source beside the Quran to fully face what is inside these books that they want to uphold. What is this nonsense that they want to put next to God's word, that of the Quran? There is a concept known as a Mote and Bailey fallacy. This is a way of argumentation where, in essence, you have two positions. One is a relatively strong position that you put up front. When you're being pressed on the argument, that's what you put up front. And then you have a weak position, which is called the Bailey. This is the part that's easily refutable. So what individuals who uphold Hadith do is they bring up all the strong stuff up front. 
They say, hey, without the Hadith, how are we supposed to know the proper recitation of the Quran? Without the Hadith, how are we supposed to know how to do Salat, how to give Zakat? And what's funny is the Hadith doesn't solve any of this. But these are the kind of arguments that people put forward. But the reality is what they want you to do is once you accept hook, line, and sinker, their lie, that these are authorized sources of law beside that of the Quran, then you have to accept all this other garbage that comes along with it. Because when people are saying that the Hadith are a source of law beside that of the Quran, that without the, the Hadith we can't understand the Quran, this is the kind of material that they want to uphold. And consider that Bukhari claimed to have memorized some 600,000 Hadith, that from this he only maintained some 7,500 Hadith, that he said the other ones cannot be trusted, they can't be marked as Sahih, that he looked at these Hadith and he said, hmm, this looks good to me, I'm going to keep this one. This is because from Hadith sciences, their understanding is that if the chain of narration is sound, the isnad is sound, meaning that each person can be verified, each person was confirmed as an uh, uh, outstanding person, a trustworthy person, that you have to accept whatever absurdity they claim to have said. So they put that front and center. They say, look, if the chain of narration is sound, it doesn't matter what was said. It doesn't matter the content, if it contradicts the Quran, if it's disparaging of the Prophet, if it's talking about him molesting his wives, that we have to accept these narrations. And this is utterly, utterly absurd, gross, and disgusting, in the clear contradiction to the actual words of God in the Quran. And we have another hadith. Sahih Bukhari, number 232 narrated by the Prophet's wife, Aisha. I used to wash the semen off the clothes of the Prophet, and even then I used to notice one or more spots on them. If these hadith don't infuriate you for the gross fabrications that they are, I don't know what to tell you. Why would anyone believe that this is something that the Prophet's wife was openly discussing with people? was sharing with it, that is mutawatir, that it's mass transmission. So many people heard the Prophet's wife talking about how she cleans the semen off his clothes. What kind of a conversation is this? What kind of information is this that is being passed around supposed believers and held up as a source of law? It's absurd. It's disgusting. And to think, that despite the repeated commandments in the Quran that the relationship between spouses is one to be kept private and that the people are to respect the privacy of the Prophet and his wives, that such narratives would have been freely shared among the people by the Prophet, his wives, and his companions, that they're going around talking about their sexual dealings with one another and this information is being broadly disseminated by them. It's absurd. And I can continue down this list, but I think you get the point. This is the kind of stuff that's being preserved inside this hadith, that's being passed around, disseminated, that we're supposed to believe actually came from the Prophet's mouth or the companions of the Prophet. The people who collected and propagated this nonsense are doing the very thing the verse is telling us not to do. To not get into the hadith of the Prophet, to not get into the intimate details about his wives, and mostly do not hurt him in this regard. And this is exactly what they're doing. And not only did they attribute these false narratives about the most intimate matters regarding the Prophet's sexual relationships with his wives, but they also hurt his reputation for potential future believers who may have accepted the message, but when they hear this nonsense, this disgusting material 
being upheld by his supposed followers. All this does is repulse them from the message, the very message that the Prophet dedicated his life to delivering, which is that of the Quran. And these people are only repelling individuals from the path of God. In Surah Muhammad, verse 32 through 34, it reads, Those who disbelieve and repel from the path of God and oppose the messenger after the guidance has been manifested for them will never hurt God in the least. Instead, he nullifies their works. O you who believe, you shall obey God and obey the messenger. Otherwise, all your works will be in vain. Those who disbelieve and repel from the path of God then die as disbelievers. God will never forgive them. God is telling us that individuals who are repelling people from the path of God with these disgusting narratives are condemned by God and will never be forgiven. It's interesting that Surah 47 verse 33, it says to obey God and his messenger. And this is typically the shallow reasoning people give in the justification of upholding hadith beside the Quran. Yet by upholding these false doctrines, they're going against the very words of God in the Quran and the scripture that the Prophet gave his life to deliver. In Surah 4 verse 51, it reads, Have you noted those who received a portion of the scripture? and how they believe in idolatry and false doctrine, then say the disbelievers are better guided than the believers. The only source of religious law that the believers are to uphold is only that of the Quran. The second someone goes to some other source to try to create religious doctrine that's never authorized by God, it's showing their disbelief. In Surah 16, verse 105, it says the only ones who fabricate false doctrines are those who do not believe in God's revelations. They are the real liars. The likes of Bukhari, Sahih Muslim, and the rest of these hadith collectors and propagators are the real liars and the real disbelievers. And the individuals who follow them are only taking their path to hell. In Surah 9, verse 31, it says, they have set up their religious leaders and scholars as lords instead of God. When individuals negate the words of God clearly written in the Quran and choose to follow these other sources, they're showing that they don't believe in God. They don't believe in God's revelations. They don't believe in the hereafter. In Surah 3 verse 98 through 100, it reads, Say, O followers of the scripture, why do you reject these revelations of God when God witnesses everything you do? Say, O followers of the scripture, why do you repel from the path of God those who wish to believe and seek to distort it, even though you are witnesses? God is never unaware of anything you do. O you who believe, if you obey some of those who receive the scripture, they will revert you after having believed into disbelievers. This is exactly what the upholders of Hadith do. They want you to uphold these other sources beside the Quran and claim if you don't that you're misguided. And what irony that they're propagating the works of the devil over the works of God and claiming that they are guided. In Surah 35 verse 8 it says, Note the one whose evil work is adorned in his eyes until he thinks that he is righteous. God thus sends astray whoever wills to go astray and he guides whoever wills to be guided. Therefore do not grieve over them. God is fully aware of everything they do. So what should be the believer's response 
when confronted with this hadith because a lot of times people they know the concept of hadith but they've never really went and read what's actually inside these books god gives us this example in the quran of what our responsibility is when we hear such fabrications in surah 24 verse 11 and 12 it reads a gang among you produced a big lie do not think that it was bad for you instead it was good for you meanwhile each one of them has earned his share of the guilt as for the one who initiated the whole incident, he has incurred a terrible retribution. When you heard it, the believing men and believing women should have had better thoughts about themselves. They should have said, this is obviously a big lie. This is exactly how the believers are to react when they hear these false narrations by the likes of Bukhari and Muslim and the rest of these Hadith propagators that the response should be, this is obviously a big lie. Also, the reason I believe the verse states that this was good for the people is because it was a way for them to show their true convictions. God creates conditions by which our true convictions come out. And this serves two purposes. The first one is for us to see why we made the decisions we made. The individuals who are destined to go to hell will complain, why did I end up here? But the purpose of having this life is to see what decisions were made that led that person to hell. And the individuals who, God willing, make it to paradise are able to reflect on the decisions they made in this world that led them there. So when God allowed the individuals to create these lies and fabrications and to uphold them and to promote them, the purpose of this is to distinguish those who believe in God and believe in the hereafter from those who are only applying lip service. That when we see individuals gravitating towards this garbage, towards these false doctrines, that we know that what's inside their hearts is impure. But the individuals who are repulsed by these false hadith and they gravitate towards the message of God and the Quran, we can realize that these people are on the right path. In Surah 6 verse 112 through 115 it reads, We have permitted the enemies of every prophet, human and jinn devils, to inspire in each other fancy words in order to deceive. Had your Lord willed, they would not have done it. You shall disregard them and their fabrications. This is to let the minds of those who do not believe in the hereafter listen to such fabrications and accept them and thus expose their real convictions. This shows that God allowed the creation of these false fabrications, these false hadith to propagate and to be celebrated in order to distinguish those who genuinely believe in God and believe in the hereafter from those who are led astray by the devil. It continues in uh, 6, 114 through 116. It says, Shall I seek other than God as a source of law when he has revealed to you this book fully detailed? Those who receive the scripture recognize that it has been revealed from your Lord truthfully. You shall not harbor any doubt. The word of your Lord is complete in truth and justice. Nothing shall abrogate his words. He is the hear, the omniscient. And then God gives us the following warning. It says, if you obey the majority of people on earth, they will divert you from the path of God. They follow only conjecture. They only guess. The entire Hadith sciences is full of conjecture and guess. This is why there is constantly contradictions within the Hadith and more importantly, that it contradicts the words of God in the Quran. And God does not shy away 
from letting us know just how serious of an offense this is and tells us what the testimony is going to be of the disbelievers who don't take heed and correct their ways in this life. In Surah 40, verse 73 through 76, it reads, They will be asked, Where are the idols you used to worship beside God? They will say, They have abandoned us. In fact, when we worshipped them, we were worshipping nothing. Thus does God send the disbelievers astray. This is because they used to rejoice in false doctrines on earth and used to promote them. Enter the gates of Gehenna wherein you abide forever. What a miserable destiny for the arrogant ones. God willing, let's take heed. Let's remove this pollution that has entered into the religion. Let's follow the words of God in the Quran alone. And God willing, grasp the strongest bond we have, the rope of God and sever our dependency on anything else. God willing, we're going to end there. If you guys got comments or questions, please join us on our Discord server. We have lively discussions. And if you listen this far in the podcast, you'll probably enjoy the conversations there as well. If you want to understand the verses of the Quran, please download the Quran Study app on the iOS App Store. If you don't have an iOS device, you can go to QuranStudyApp.com website. If you want more information, about the religion, you can go to chroniclabs.com. And until next time, peace and God bless.